Hi, this is Ed Fitzpatrick. If you enjoy local politics as much as I do, be sure to join our friends at Rhode Island PBS for the show A Lively Experiment. Hosted by Jim Hummel, the weekly series features journalists, pundits, and politicians debating the stories and issues that matter most to us Rhode Islanders. Tune in to A Lively Experiment and be part of the conversation. Fridays at 7 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS and wherever you get your podcasts. From the Boston Globe, this is Rhode Island Report. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. Welcome back to the podcast where we bring you big conversations from our very small state. Representative David Cicilline dropped a surprise announcement today, resigning from Congress to run the state's largest philanthropic organization, the Rhode Island Foundation. The news has sent shockwaves through Rhode Island's political establishment. Why is he leaving a seat he could have held for the rest of his life? Who will replace him? And how does this affect the rest of Rhode Island politics? We have Globe Rhode Island columnist Dan McGowan and Jim Hummel, host of A Lively Experiment on Rhode Island PBS, after a quick break. When you want to go beyond the headlines, let me recommend Rhode Island PBS Weekly. Rhode Island PBS Weekly is an award-winning news magazine broadcast that gives you the full story, powered by investigative journalism and narrative storytelling. New episodes of Rhode Island PBS Weekly drop Sundays at 7.30 p.m. on Rhode Island PBS. Watch past episodes at ripbs.org weekly. That's ripbs.org weekly. Welcome back. I'm here with our own Dan McGowan, who broke the news about David Cicilline's resignation, and with Jim Hummel, host of A Lively Experiment on Rhode Island PBS. Thanks for joining me, gentlemen. What a day, huh? Yeah, thanks for having us. Dan, let's start with you. Were you surprised? Did you expect that David Cicilline would be leaving Congress anytime soon? I'd love to tell you that I knew all along, and this was a long-running plan of his, but no, uh, I'm totally stunned. Uh, even as I started to kind of report this out and you know, heard a little bit of rumors just in the last couple of days, I still kind of didn't believe it was entirely true because David Cicilline is kind of synonymous with Rhode Island politics at that point. I think at this point, I think he's the most kind of known person really we have, two-term mayor, six, seven-term congressman, that kind of thing. So I was really surprised, but it's a job that makes a lot of sense. There's a lot of money behind it. Uh, so it's a good opportunity, I think, for the congressman. How about you, Jim? Did you see this coming? Well, if two years ago you asked any of us in this room, okay, out of the four people in Congress, who's going to leave first? You'd say probably Jack Reed, right? I mean, although he's turned it down, his age, his experience, all of that, David Cicilline would probably be fourth. This turns things totally upside down. But I think, Ed, if you step back and take a look, as Dan said, it makes sense. It's a lot of money involved. It's a lot of policy. And look at where Cicilline is right now. He's a minority member. You know, as you'd reported, Dan, the ceiling is not as great as it was for him before. He's been an impeachment manager. What is the next two to four to six years going to look like for David Cicilline? He could stay there for life, but maybe he's looking for a new challenge. Yeah, and you think about it, Ed, 61 years old, 
potentially, I mean, if both Sheldon Whitehouse and Jack Reed were to run for re-election, you know, you're talking David Cicilline might be 70 years old before he ever gets a chance to run for the Senate. So that window closes. He is, in fact, getting a little bit older. So it starts to make more sense, I think. Wasn't he having fun, though? I mean, he's a policy wonk. He got to tell Matt Geats off once in a while. I mean, wasn't this a job he enjoyed? I think he did love that part of it. I mean, he would be dismissive of that and say, oh, that's part of the theater, but actually I like to be in committee and get stuff done. He liked to be on CNN and Fox. I mean, that's the reality of all members of Congress. You're always fighting to, you know, have that chance on cable news. I think he did really like that part. I do think, though, this job is one where it's a little bit more like being the mayor, right? You get to actually see through the changes that you want to make. You get to put money, you get to make people happy. And you know what? If he does this now and does this for five, six, seven years, who knows? If you're giving money to everybody in the state of Rhode Island, you're considered kind of the elder statesman you know, in politics, there's always a chance that you could actually make a political comeback down the line. Jim, you mentioned the context for this. Like a couple of years ago, we were talking about how Langevin and Cicilline might be facing off a one house seat. And, and now we've got them both uh, heading for the exit. What, what do you make of that? Yeah, I mean, we saved the congressional seat by, what, 70 votes? And <laughs> we found out that was kind of accidental anyway. Look, these are generally lifetime seats, with the exception of Link Chafee for a whole variety of reasons in the Republican Congress. But once you're in, you decide when to leave. And, and Dan, you hit it right on the head. He's got, he's got a lot of money to give out. So he's the good guy, but I think he's that policy wonk that you talked about is that he is going he's going to be neck deep in all the major things that are going to come to Rhode Island. I think as Cicilline looked at the total picture of where where do you want to be in your life 5 years from now where do you be want to be in 10 years from now? I don't think being in Congress is he's thinking do I want 20 years total there. Dan, you just interviewed Congressman Cicilline moments ago. How does he explain this decision? Yeah, I mean, kind of a lot of what we're talking about. Now, he's not quite as blatant about saying, you know, I'm fed up with uh, being in the minority party or, you know, no, I, I didn't win my leadership fights kind of internally with the Democrats. You know, he, he t tries to take a step back. He does acknowledge that congressional gridlock is something that he finds frustrating. But I, I think it does come down to the way he explained it to me was, um, yeah, very clearly he, he looks at what the next kind of decade of his career will look like. This is a chance to actually make, you know, a real impact. Think about the Rhode Island Foundation uh, does, aside from funding virtually every nonprofit in the state, you know, on the big picture stuff, they were part of the conversation about the healthcare, you know, merger between the two big hospitals that, that didn't happen, but they were part of that conversation. They've been part of the Providence School Takeover conversation. The Rhode Island Foundation is kind of at its best is the convener of all parties, right? And when you have the money to give out and to make a difference, I think he sees this as a much more attractive job than kind of sitting back in Congress and, you know, hoping that maybe somebody falls off in leadership or, you know, maybe you could make a return kind of up the ladder with, within the party. Is Congress just no fun anymore with the, the partisan battles? Because I, I know sometimes when Cicilline would go viral with a statement, he would get threats. He, he, would, he would get criticized. 
Absolutely. And I think there's a nutty element out there that wasn't there even a couple of years ago. And I, I don't think you walk around in fear. I don't I don't think he does that. But I, I think the whole fun factor and he look, he's been there and done everything in the last 12 years. He's traveled overseas. He's been in you know majority. He's been in the minority. He was an impeachment manager. So really, what is there left to do in the next two to four to six years? He had been rising through the ranks, right? He served as chairman of the Democratic Policy and Communications Committee. But last year, uh, Cicilline challenged Representative James Clyburn for the number four House Democratic leadership post, and that did not work out. Was that a factor? What happened there, Dan? Yeah, I mean, I think that baffled a lot of his colleagues in Congress because you're not just running for you know, a leadership position within the party, within the caucus, you were taking on the guy who made Biden, right? Jim right. Clyburn is the guy who was, you know, really much the South Carolina rep who who made it happen for President Biden, really changed the election in 2020, at least the primary. And so that was, a, I think, an audacious move by him. It fell apart very quickly. I think you actually go back just a couple of years before that. He ran for a leadership position and, and lost in that race. That was an actual vote. That was more of a challenge because that showed you, okay, they all knew Hakeem Jeffries, who's the minority leader there, was the guy. They all they all know he's the guy that if they gain back the House at some point, he'll be the next speaker. And Cicilline's always been a big supporter of Jeffries, right? But ha- are you saying that the latter was not going any higher for Cicilline? Uh, absolutely. I-, I can imagine, given, remember, you just had kind of a sea change within the Democratic Party in the House. Nancy Pelosi decides he wants, or she wants to step away. You're, you're seeing that new generation of, you know, young leaders who want to take over the party. David Cicilline, I think, really thought he was going to be part of that crowd, and he's kind of on the outside looking in at this point. Jim, you mentioned uh, the partisanship. How much do you think it had to do with the fact that Republicans have regained control of the House? I think a lot. And I don't, you know, they're also talking about potentially the Senate flipping in two years. That doesn't look good. So do you want to really be on the outs? What What are you going to do day to day? And I, it goes back to over the course of seven terms, you've done a lot of constituent service. You've kind of been there, done that. And I know there's some people who are like lifers. I will tell you in my career, I've had 13 year segments. I worked for the, I've been blessed to do what I've been doing, but I worked for the journal for 13 years. I worked for ABC six for 13 years. And now I've done the Hummel report for 13 years. No big announcements about what I'm going to do next <laughs> year. Next, but, but I think there are, there comes a time in your life. It's like, wh- what am I doing here? So I think as we step back, it makes a lot more sense. Now the big question is who fills the, who, who fills the seat? What are we going to remember Cicilline for? Well, I think I still think you rem- I think in Rhode Island we remember him more for his time as the Providence mayor, both for good and bad. You replace Buddy Cianci, you know, as the mayor. Uh, in some ways, you can kind of lift the cloud of corruption, that sort of thing. He, of course, by the end, you know, ends up in a tough spot where he's, you know, not telling the truth about the city's finances and gets elected to Congress. I think locally we think more about that record in the long run, but. There is a track record there in Congress. You have to be an impeachment manager. There's only been a couple of those trials in the history of this country. And he got to be, you know, up there and make the case against Donald Trump. Dan, how will this seat be filled and when? So we don't know officially when yet because he's going to remain in Congress until he's going to serve through May 31st. So the earliest that a an election can even be called, not, not actually happened, but just the governor can say we're going to have a special election would be June 1st. That would push this out into sometime in the summer for a Democratic primary. And then, of course, right thereafter, a general election. So you're talking about 
kind of a similar campaign cycle to the one we deal with in the even years, where these candidates, whoever runs for this, they're going to all start to position themselves right now before David Cicilline ever leaves Congress. But the actual campaigning, the actual, we'll know when an election is, you're going to see a lot of that in the summer. The Bristol Fourth of July parade is going to be really bumping this uh, uh, yet again. <laughs> is there a reason he's not leaving until June, June 1st? I think he wants to say goodbye, long farewells. <laughs> but no, no, I don't. Who do you expect to run for this seat, Jim? Wow. I mean, how long is the list, right? I mean, even we were talking about before we came on air, there were some people that I that I hadn't heard of. Look, the, the ones that come to mind are Helena folks, even though I think she wants to be more of a, an administrator rather than a legislature. legislator. She's got the money. She lives in CD2, but we know that's not a huge deal. Jorge Alorza. Uh, he's got a pile of money, and I know this whole you got to convert it to federal money. Cicilline did that 12 yeah, years ago. Hard. Yeah, you take all your, you know, have he's a got close to a million dollars. Exactly. Yeah. So he didn't run. He's got money, so that puts him in a good position right now. I think the state office holders, the Secretary of State and the State Treasury, you'd be really hard pressed after just getting in right now. The the allure is you can run and not not have to worry about losing your seat. But at the same time, I think I think it's just a bad look. The the fascinating thing that I think about this is that if you think about just flashback to last year when we had Jim Langevin says he's going to retire, there was a lot of maneuvering behind the scenes from the senior members of the congressional delegation, the senators who looked at this and said we need to make sure we keep that seat blue. And so there was a lot of pressure on Democrats to coalesce around one candidate. In the end, that's kind of what happened. Yes, there were other uh, Democratic candidates, but Seth Magaziner was by far the most qualified and sort of the best, uh, you know, the best fundraiser of that bunch. This time around, though, I think it's going to be much harder to kind of uh, shorten that field. They know the seat is almost certain to stay blue. I think a lot of people, I think you're going to see a chance where, you know, we might be talking about 20, 30 candidates at some point. 20 to 30 candidates. I would say at some point. And then when it starts to, you know, when that when that list starts to kind of fall down, I still think you could see 10, 15 people on the ballot. In, wow. in, you know, but also primary. look at the Republicans are in disarray because Susie Yankee is just re, she's le- leaving or has left as GOP chair. So they don't have any I don't think there's anybody positioned. It's a we know it's a much more liberal district because of the whole redistricting thing back in 2010. So really, uh, who who's going to be the sacrificial lamb for the Republicans? We're almost talking about it as if it's a fait accompli. It's going to be among the Democrats and they're going to keep it. And I think that's going to happen. But it's such a bad look if the Republicans don't even put up somebody that could give it a bit of a race. Yeah. Right? Would you expect it to be Senator Jessica De La Cruz, the Senate minority leader? She ran for the CD2 seat. She lives in CD1. This seems to be more directly uh, appropriate for her. Possibly whether she has the recognition and the chops to raise the money, I don't know. We talked about Blake Filippi. He's, you know, he lives in CD2, but is it, if he didn't run for governor, is this something he'd really want to do, given the rest of what's going on in his life? And Dan, how does this district differ from CD2? Oh, I mean, you're talking about bright blue as can be in the first congressional district, and then a shade of purple, I guess, in the second district. And what I mean by that, of course, is it wasn't that crazy. Many of us thought our polls even showed that Alan Fung was a serious contender as a Republican in the second district. This time around, you could get a candidate of the same quality, the ability to raise money of an Alan Fung, you know, of a Blake Filippi, some, someone like that. And it would be so difficult to win um, as a Republican. And so that's what it is. I mean, this is so much more blue kind of Democrat leaning than the second district. I want to personally thank Congressman Cicilline because I was wondering during the summer this year on Lively Experiment, 
what were we going to talk about? It's an off election year for state and federal. He just filled the gap. <laughs> He's yeah. helping we don't us have out. to do Thank too many Bill Woods out. stories. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so we've heard a lot of names even just today of uh, Senator Cynthia, former Senator Cynthia Mendes, uh, Lieutenant Governor Sabina Matos, uh, uh, Senator Coleman, uh, Mayor Rivera. Who do you expect the Democratic nominee to be if you had to, if you were a betting man, to, to paraphrase Senator Ruggiero, which you are, who would you bet on? Give me two names. Look at Joe Shikarchi. I think I could see that one. Oh, the I think that would be very interesting. And I guess I would say Helena Folks because she has the money. One more. Sorry. Clay Pell. Clay I think Pell. Clay, I think a Pell could be a candidate in this race. And I say a Pell because there's a Clay Pell. There's a Nick Pell. They both have lots of money. Keep an eye on the Firing Pels. up the Prius again. Dan and Jim, thanks for joining me today. Good to be here. Thanks so much. For more coverage of Cicilline's resignation from Congress, go to globe.com slash Rhode Island. That's globe.com slash Rhode Island. Rhode Island Report is a production of the Boston Globe in collaboration with Rhode Island PBS. Today's episode was produced by Megan Hall, Carlos Munoz, and Scott Hellman. Audio mixing and mastering by Marissa Ewing of Hemlock Creek Productions. Our music is from APM. And if you like the podcast, do us a favor. Follow the show and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. I'm Ed Fitzpatrick. See you next week. Looking to binge watch all your favorite PBS shows? You need Rhode Island PBS Passport, Masterpiece, Antiques Roadshow, Rhode Island PBS Weekly, and many more. Watch them all, anytime, and from any streaming device. Learn more about this member benefit at ripbs.org slash passport. That's ripbs.org slash passport.